Okay, guys, here is part two of tonight's Bible study. Randomly, I got a phone call in the middle of Bible study, which is really weird because my ringer was off, so I have no idea why it went off, and it was really loud, which is really strange, and then I didn't realize that it stopped the recording, so I'm going to try and pick back up for the second half here where I was. Everyone is gone, and it's just me in an empty room right now. So we were talking about uh, David's incredible kindness towards Saul and how it displayed the gospel. And so our second principle tonight is this, kindness over vengeance displays the gospel. Kindness over vengeance displays the gospel. Because it's just not natural for us. It's not natural for us to be kind to someone when they are being cruel to us. So as we move on to chapter 25 then, we're going to see the second pop quiz for David. And he almost didn't pass this one. This is with Nabal and Abigail, Nabal the fool, and he is extremely disrespectful and offensive toward David after David and his men had been very kind to him. Nabal's question in verse 10 is a slam. He says, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? He knows exactly who David is, as does Abigail, and that's why she reacts the way that she does. But Nabal's insidious response infuriates David. I mean, this is one of those, I cannot believe they just said that moments. Like the time last May when I was in Meyer at the checkout, and the lady took from me my bacon, because you could only have two things of bacon, but I cannot feed my family with just two packages of bacon, and so I tried to take more, and she took my bacon from me, and in a sense, it was one of those pop quizzes, and I did not pass the quiz. I got very upset with her that she took my bacon. I could not believe that she did that, and I told her, look, I am a hog farmer's wife. Do you know how many pigs my husband took to the market this week? Yeah. 1,200. I think you could give me my bacon. This was one of those moments for David. He could not believe Nabal said that to his men. And initially, David wasn't ready. So he says to his men in verse 13, strap on your swords, men. How dare he treat us like that? And David gets his sword, and off they go. He is not going to leave any man alive in Nabal's household or camp, his servants. But David, or but David, but Abigail, being the smart, God-fearing woman that she is, intercedes on behalf of her husband, taking the blame for this wicked man and his actions. Did you catch verse 24? Chapter 25, verse 24, Abigail says to David, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. What? She is taking the blame willingly for Nabal. How could she bear the guilt for such an awful man? But do you guys see what that is right there? It's another gospel moment. Jesus has done the same thing for us. He has borne the guilt that we should bear. On me alone, he said to the Father, be me the guilt just as Abigail does here in front of David. 
then with an incredible speech in which she even reminds David that it's not good to take vengeance into his own hands and that he will be king one day and the Lord will take care of him. And David certainly doesn't want to have any kind of blood on his hands when he takes to the throne, does he? No, he does not. And David agrees. And this speech brings him uh, to realize that he is definitely in the wrong. And he says, blessed are you, Abigail, and blessed is the Lord for bringing you to me now to stop me from taking vengeance on my enemies. David did not ignore the warning. Sometimes we do ignore the warnings, and we shouldn't. But David heeded God's warning here. He listened, and he took the way out that God provided. David knew it was not for him to take revenge. Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I think David knew this verse. But it took Abigail reminding him of some truth for him to get it back into his head. And that's what the body of Christ can do for us. That's what we as, as women can do for each other. We can come alongside each other and remind each other of these truths because we're going to face tests. We're going to face trials and we're going to need to remember the truth. So David leaves Nabal in God's hands. And the next day, judgment falls on Nabal, which had to be extremely encouraging to David. David didn't need to take matters into his own hands. God would act on his behalf, and God did immediately. And now David has the proof that he needs to go into pop quiz number three and to pass the test. David has proof that God will take care of his enemies. So now he knows for sure if God will take care of Nabal, then certainly God will take care of Saul. So in the next chapter, when Saul is again in David's hands and David's men are again encouraging him that this must be God's will because it's just too good to be true. Look, Saul is right there for you, right in front of you. David knows, I'm not supposed to do that. He knows. Look what he says in verse 10 in chapter 26. I've got to get to it real quick. He says, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. He's speaking of Saul. And he's telling his men, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. David now knew because of Nabal and how God had taken care of Nabal. He had the confidence now in, in the Lord to know God will take care of Saul in his timing. He will take care of him. And so David once again leaves Saul in God's hands. And David and Saul have another conversation David goes and he takes the spear, he takes the water jug, he gets away from the camp, he calls back. They have another conversation. And once again, David proves his kindness and his innocence. And once again, Saul admits that David is indeed a blessed man and will do many great things. And then they part ways. So what do we do with all of this? Well, in chapter 24, 
David commits himself to the Lord. Then in chapter 25, we see David trust the Lord to take care of Nabal. And in chapter 26, we see David wait on the Lord. So David commits himself to the Lord, he trusts in the Lord, and he waits on the Lord. And I think the answer to these tests, to life's pop quizzes that come our way, is to decide these things ahead of time. Who are you committed to? Who are you trusting in and to whom do you wait? If the answer to any of those questions is not Jesus, then it's going to be a lot harder to exemplify godliness in any situation that tests our faith. If it's me I'm committed to, or myself that I'm trusting in, or some other hope or dream that I'm waiting on to fulfill me other than the Lord, and something goes wrong and there's a bump in the road, then you can be sure I am much more likely to panic because I've given myself the seat of control. And what am I going to do now? And how am I going to get through this? And under pressure, I'm probably not going to make the best decisions. But if I am committed first and foremost to the Lord, there can be peace where there was panic. There can be trust where there was fear. There can be hope where there was despair. Why? Because we're not alone. God does not test us in hopes that we'll fail. He tests us in hopes that we'll succeed and realize that he is with us and that he is amazing and that he is sovereign and that with God, we have nothing to fear. So to wrap up tonight, I want to show you guys something that I thought was so cool. Look back with me at Hannah's prayer in chapter 2. We've referenced her prayer throughout this study several times as it continues to act as a sort of table of contents for everything going on in the books of Samuel. So looking at her prayer, chapter 2, listen to verses 1 and 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Now listen to this, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. There is no rock like our God. That's the part I want us to pick up on. Now we're going to skip all the way to the end of 2 Samuel. Listen to David's prayer at the end of 2 Samuel 22. Verse 1 says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this came at the end, this song, and it's also Psalm 18, came at the end of David's wilderness time. And it's just beautiful. Listen to verse 2. He says, The Lord is my rock. So right there, what we have is from beginning to end of First and Second Samuel, we have this bookends of God being declared as the rock. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence in more ways than one, right? 
He not only kept David safe, but God kept David from enacting vengeance when he shouldn't have. You save me from violence. Now jump over, still in that chapter, to verse 32. 2 Samuel 22, verse 32. David's still singing. He says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Now verse 47 and 48. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance. Look how fitting that is. God gave David vengeance. David did not have to act it himself, enact it himself. David could rely on the Lord. He could wait for God. David could commit himself to the Lord. David could trust in the Lord. And David could wait on the Lord because God was his rock. Now, what's even cooler is if we go back to chapter 23, which I didn't catch this last week, but the, at the end of chapter 23, Saul is chasing David, and Saul is on one side of the mountain, and David is on the other side of the mountain. And look what verse 25 says. It says, And Saul and his men went to seek him, meaning David, and David was told. So what does David do? So David went down to the rock. It just says he went to the rock. Now we know it's physically speaking of a mountain, but who is David's rock based on 2 Samuel 22? It's the Lord. David went down to the rock. David went to the Lord. And if you jump to the end of that, verse 28 of chapter 23, it says, Therefore, that place was called the rock of escape. Who is our rock of escape? Christ. He's the only reason we get to escape eternal damnation in hell. God is our rock. The Lord is our rock of escape. David physically and spiritually experienced this. God became his rock. He, came, he became his rock while he was in the wilderness. Girls, over and over, where do we see the rock in Scripture? We see it in the wilderness. Where did Israel drink from the rock? In the wilderness. Where did God meet with Moses? On top of a rock. In the middle of the wilderness. On a mountain. Where did God's glory pass before Moses? In the cleft of a rock. Where does Elijah hear the still small voice? At Horeb, the rock of God. Otherwise known as Mount Sinai. Where did David learn that God was his rock? In the wilderness, during an intense season of testing. So where are we going to learn that God is our rock? It's going to be in the wilderness. So we don't want to try and skip it. We don't want to try and get out of these times prematurely just because we aren't having fun or just because we don't like it or just because we're scared or just because we don't like the way something is going. God has purpose for wilderness seasons in our life. And it is so we can meet the rock. So we can experience his 
sheltering. We don't need to fear those wilderness times when life feels hard and our faith is tried because what's in the wilderness? The rock. God, our rock. Isaiah 26, 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And yet at the same time, Isaiah 17, 10 says this of Israel, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Israel forgot the rock of your, their, their refuge. He is also the God of our refuge. He is our rock of refuge. But if Israel had listened to God and not turned away from him like they did, listen to what Psalm 81.16 says. God tells them, with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. With honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. We've talked about honey before this semester. The sweetness of honey. The sustenance that's in honey. And God says, I will satisfy you with honey from the rock. If you would just turn to me. If you would just shelter in me. This is why God takes us to the wilderness. So he can give us honey from the rock. So here's your last principle. The goal of the wilderness is to seek shelter in the rock. That's your goal. The goal of the wilderness is to seek shelter in the rock. Girls, this whole life that we're living, it is a wilderness journey. And our faith will be tested. But like David, we can commit ourselves to God while we're on that wilderness journey and we can trust God and we can wait on God because even in the wilderness, God, our rock, is there. You know, that's where so many of the saints who have gone before us have met the Lord in the wilderness at the rock. And so God, in his grace, gives us the same opportunity to know him as our rock. And if we would just hold on a little bit longer, then he promises us there is honey in that rock. Don't try and get out of it prematurely. The goal of the wilderness is to seek shelter in the rock.